G'day guys, Tom Craig here. Welcome to my podcast, The Help Side. Now the help side is a term in hockey that refers to the other side of the pitch, away from where the ball is and the action happens. And in the same way, the aim of this podcast is to give you, the listener, an insight into the other side of elite hockey players, to hear about their highs, their lows, and what makes them tick. We'll also hear about the journey they went through, from having fun in the backyard to playing out their dreams on the world stage. So whether you're a player, a coach, an umpire, a parent, a fan, or just a fan of sport in general, I'm hoping this podcast gives you a window into the world of elite athletes, and even better, encourages you to get more involved in our great sport. You can hear the chat we had last week and others you may have missed by searching The Help Side on any major podcast platform. And if you want, you can like and subscribe our page to make sure that you're up to date with the most recent episodes. Anyway, that's enough of that. Let's get to this week's guest. Ellen Hogue on the reverse. Tapped oh. is saved by Rachel Lynch. As the Netherlands get inside the circle now. Oh. What a save by Lynch. Well, done. well, that was brilliant. Ellen Hogue inside the D on the tomahawk. Lynch oh. with a glove. It was on target. Fortune into the circle. Great save from Rach Lynch. Nurse, business owner, mental health ambassador, Australian hockey player, shootout beast, FIH World Goalkeeper of the Year. These are just some of the ways to describe star goalkeeper Rachel Lynch. After debuting in 2006, Rach has played a whopping 223 games for the Hockey Roos, a statistic that includes appearances at three World Cups, five Champions Trophies, three Commonwealth Games and the Rio Olympic Games. Playing arguably the most competitive position on the field, over the next hour or so, Lynch will give us a goalkeeper's take on competing at the highest level and all that entails. With 14 years of experience at the top, Rach has seen almost all there is to see over her stellar career with the Hockey Roos. From the ordeal of missing two Olympic selections to being crowned World Goalkeeper of the Year, you'll find Rach has learned an incredible amount over her journey that started with a 12-year-old basketball playing tomboy from Melbourne. We're very lucky that Rach shares some of those lessons with us over the next hour or so in a very candid manner, along with some of her goalkeeping secrets to being the best in the world. So goalies, listen up, this one's for you. I hope you enjoy the help side of Rachel Lynch. G'day everyone, I'm here with Rachel Lynch, goalkeeper extraordinaire of the Hockey Roos. Rach, lockdown, but working full-time in a new job. How are you going? Going well, thanks Tom. Yep, I'm pleased to be here, looking forward to the chat. <laughs> Should be good. How is the new job? What's it? It's your full-time nurse, obviously. What does that entail at the moment for you? Yeah, so actually a little bit different. So I was um, nursing at one of the main hospitals here at Fiona Stanley and um, had my regular shift there when all the COVID stuff happened, um, put my name forward for the COVID clinics uh, and another hospital. Um, and yeah, funnily enough, that whole period, they did such a good job that uh, there was nurses everywhere looking for jobs. So interestingly, the craziness that everyone perceived to be going on at a hospital, it wasn't happening. So um, I did a few uh, extra shifts in a few weeks there, which I really enjoyed and then decided that, you know, over this period I had a bit extra time. So wanted to do a bit more. Um, so I actually got a job with a mining company oh. and yeah, so it started last week, but still nursing. So my job is um, they're doing COVID testing for every single one of their workers before they go to site because uh, they're obviously still working. So my job is to look after the nursing staff and all the staff doing the testing across um, the whole of WA so I guess like a regional nurse manager kind of thing and yeah it was just an opportunity that was sort of too good to pass up you know doing a bit of the nursing stuff a um, bit of management leadership and um, yeah I've been loving it so far. That's awesome and your uh, your website rachellynch.com I believe describes you as uh, Australian hockey veteran stomp goalkeeping founder so you're a coach uh, you're a mental health ambassador and a nurse and this new role sounds like you kind of implementing all the skills that that you have and all the strings you have to your bow in that but how do you fit all of that in to your life basically it's amazing <laughs> thanks yeah I, I mean this job is a bit of a combination and part of the reason why I, I took it and um, really jumped at it because yeah the mental health is a big part you know big passion of mine um, coaching obviously you know we can't do a lot of that now I've, my business is online so a lot of it has kept going but Normally, I think when we're training, for me, it's just like squeeze as much into a day as I can. And then when we went into isolation, it was very different. So I had a heap more time and I actually really enjoyed that where, you know, my diary was completely empty, just had, 
you know, the shifts in there for nursing and then exercise. So I really enjoyed that period. And then now I've gone into full-time work where it's, you know, as with the real world, it's pretty hard to fit anything else in. So I've just gone headfirst into this job and um, yeah, the online stuff will keep ticking over, but um, yeah, everything else, I guess is a little bit in the background for now. Yeah. Okay. And so when training is up and running, obviously uh, travel is a big element um, in the life of an international hockey player. How do you balance all that stuff? You must have some pretty good bosses to, well, I guess you're your own boss and a lot of these things, but how do you balance all that when there's travel training and whatever else you have going on in your life? Yeah. The hospital have been awesome. I've been on the same ward for 10 years and um, I've across that time I've had two bosses and they're incredible. They're very, very supportive. Uh, it's the only reason I have a job because they let me do the travel whenever I need to. So um, the flexibility there, WA Health are really supportive of that and allow unlimited leave for anyone competing for the country. So that's how I can do the nursing. Um, and, you know, it's about being organised and upfront with them because, yeah, they're, they're willing to uh, accommodate me in that sense. But it then also means that when I'm at work, I, you know, my loyalty and, and I try and do a really good job and work hard because I like to sort of repay that support a little bit. So, yeah, the travel does add a bit of an element, but... That's why I set up online business so I can do it wherever I am. And then the mental health stuff as well, that just sort of keeps ticking along and um, social media allows an opportunity to, to spread messages and, yeah, and then it's just squeezing other stuff in whenever we're back in Australia. Cool. I want to get to the mental health stuff in a second, but uh, surely it must be some benefit to the girls. I mean, hockey is a, can be a pretty dangerous sport. It must be nice to know that they have a, a nurse on tour with them all the time. Are your services ever required? Oh, some of the questions I get, like, <laughs> I don't want to see your rack, you know? Like, <laughs> I, um, yeah, I suppose it's some things, you know, like questions about medications and I'll, we don't have, too, you know, too many bad things going on, but I guess it is reassuring. If anything happened, you know, I'd be available, but we're pretty lucky, you know. If the worst things that generally happen are a, a split above the eye or something like that. And that's out of my scope. I certainly don't have the ability to do stitches on the side of a pitch or anything. So yeah. And I think I, like part of the reason I love the nursing is it just gives you a set of skills even away from work. I've literally coincidentally over the last two weeks, I've come across two, well, not accidents, but yeah, I guess one I was riding to work one day, found a guy on the ground who'd come off his bike. He was by himself and literally his collarbone sticking out of his shoulder. He'd fallen off and, um, yeah, so stopped and helped him until the ambos came and then found another lady on the path another night coming home who um, had a seizure. And I don't know if I'm just got the bad luck following me or something, <laughs> but I'm certainly more than happy to step in and help in those sort of situations and feel grateful for, the, you know, I guess my skills and to feel calm enough to, to jump in and, and, you know, help out where I can. It is incredible. It always seems like when something goes wrong, with a stranger, there is always a nurse or a doctor within 50 meters of the actual yeah. incident. It's incredible. Um, yeah. I just want to move on to uh, the mental health side of things. You're a big mental health ambassador. Uh, you're an ambassador for Are You Okay? Um, do you want to just talk a little bit about the, well, firstly, why um, you got interested in, and um, what your role is with, with Are You Okay? And, and mental health in sport? Yeah, sure. So I started with Are You OK maybe eight or so years ago and they were pretty small. Um, just got approached by a friend who was working there. I hadn't heard of them at the time, but just really love their messaging. I think simple message, you know, not trying to like raise money from people. It's just about getting people talking. Um, it's a bit more of a prevention strategy. So it's really suicide prevention. And I, I quite liked that because, um, you know, if you're a psychologist or a counsellor or whatever, you have a certain amount of skill, but um, from the prevention space, anyone can do it. So that was a way that I could bring it into um, the different areas in my life, but more specifically the hockey. So to be able to, you know, I guess, help the girls, educate them around the importance of self-care and looking after each other. You know, as you'd know, being away from family and friends, you're in a pretty high pressure environment with without your support network. So we've sort of learnt to implement a few things to ensure we're taking care of each other a bit more and hopefully stopping a few, um, you know, small things escalating into something big. And if you look at the statistics, you know, it's, um, it's pretty high and 
the suicide rate is is bad and um, mental illness as well. So across a team of 27, you know, guaranteed there's going to be stuff going on. So I love to be able to yeah help share that message. And um, are you okay? Is given me an avenue, you know, to I guess spread the word a little bit, but um, also to represent them and um, be out in the community doing something good. Is mental health a pretty big issue in in athletes? Yeah, I would say so. But certainly in this time, one thing that I've learned is that a lot of the issues are coming up, you know, in the media, obviously all the sports are going through the same thing as is everyone in society. But it sounds like uh, there's a lot more, there's obviously more noise around it, but it sounds like there's a lot more issues for sports like AFL because they've gone from a huge wage, um, a full-time sporting career to nothing. Whereas for us, like majority of us have gone, all right, straight into my job, current job. Um, a lot of the uni, the people studying have just gone, cool, I'll pick up a couple extra subjects. Um, or others are resourceful enough to do an online course or grab a you know casual job if, if you could. So I feel like from a mental health perspective, we've got a lot of things in our favour. Obviously, the pay kind of sucks a little bit for our sport, <laughs> but it forces you to do other stuff and, and it just puts you in a better space to be able to cope with, yeah, with life, I suppose. I like what you said about the messaging with, are you okay? I mean, especially at a time like this, it is so simple and so easy. And I think being so disconnected, it's a very, very good message to spread. Just ask someone if they're okay, because the time can be a bit difficult for some. Speaking of difficult times, it's no secret the Olympics have been postponed um, probably until next year. Now, you're a senior member of the Hockey Roos squad. How did you take the news? Uh, look, I think... Um to be completely honest with you, when the announcement was made that um, firstly that Australia weren't going, that we were pulling out and then the, the Olympics were postponed, there was a couple of things. The fact that they postponed it just by one year was a bit of a relief for me because mm. I thought, oh, if it's two years or four years, I don't know how I'd cope with that <laughs> at you know, 33. Um, but because I was doing my nursing at the time and fully aware was of what was going on overseas, I was actually feeling a little bit guilty about the fact that we were still training together. So the announcement that we were free to, to go was, um, to be honest, a bit of a relief. And mm. um, any of the emotions that you would associate with an Olympics being postponed or cancelled, I just felt weren't really relevant considering what was going on. And, um, you know, you'd think, oh, it's pretty devastating that you've trained for four years and it gets moved a year. But it's like, yeah, well, what's devastating is the fact that, you know, how many thousands of people have died in the UK and, and over in the US and we've had our own stuff going on. So, Yeah, for sure. And did many of the girls take the option to, to leave Perth? Yeah, I reckon we had about half the group. So I think maybe similar to the boys, I would say, yeah, about 50% went home, so over, over east. And then the ones that stayed either had um, jobs or partners here. So, yeah, I'd say that was sort of the main reason. But, it was, you know, I was certainly really glad that the ones that um, – could go back home to be with their family got to do so because I think it's really important as we know, like this is a time to be around your family and your loved ones. And the thought of someone getting sick over East and the borders closing and us not being able to get over there, like that's pretty horrible. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, so there are some silver linings to the Olympics being postponed. Well, I guess it will probably change for, for each team, but is the postponement a good thing for the hockey roos or are you about to peak at the right time with 2020 or what sort of impact will that have on, on your team? Well, I think we just have to spin it that way anyway, that it's going to be a good thing. Um, we get a bit longer. Maybe you can sort of start again with, with some areas. Um, yeah, like from a, a fitness perspective, I feel like you can always do a bit more to get yourself ready and we've been given time and time's a th uh, the type of thing that you don't often get. Um, so I'm looking forward to... It sort of just feels like we are starting again. We kicked off in December last year with a camp and um, looks like we're going to be doing a similar thing again, potentially with a new group, who knows, but uh, I, I certainly see it as a positive and uh, you know, it's interesting seeing a lot of other sports that how some people it works in their favor if they've been injured or, you know, someone like Chloe Esposito pentathlon who's had a, having a baby and she's gone from not eligible to potentially now able to go. So mm. uh, it's, yeah, it's every sport seems to be a little bit different. Yeah, for sure. You hear about the stories of people who have, who are going to miss out because of an ACL or as you're saying with Chloe Esposito, but, um, and I guess that's, that's pretty exciting for them. I want to ask one more question before we're going to go into you more personally and about your hockey journey. You do a lot. 
outside of hockey, you just your life is quite full. With uh, the current setup with hockey in Australia, it is possible to just do hockey. It's not easy um, financially, but it's possible. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do so much? Well, if I look back on, um, so I've been in the team for 14 years. And if I look back on the two significant years where I missed out on the Olympics, so 08 and 2012, the, those two years, we were full-time. So we were absolutely not allowed to work or study. You couldn't do anything. You're on call. Um, and, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing. But from those two years, I performed my worst. And I don't want to think about hockey all day. Like, I think, yeah, some people are just sport nuts, hockey nuts, and, you know, go home and watching footage and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, I'll definitely work my bum off while I'm there. But then when I leave, I like to switch off and clear my head and, I think when you immerse yourself in something like elite sport, uh, it's pretty consuming and every athlete knows there's so many ups and downs and I think it's all well and good when we're on the ups and we're travelling and winning and, and all of those great things. But I'd say a lot more of the time there's, there's downs and when that's all you have to think about and to do, it's, yeah, it's pretty hard. And, and I've been on enough... Um, well, missed out on enough tours that the team goes away and it's just, you know, three or four or five of you back here training in Perth. And it's, it's really hard. And it's, mm. um, you know, we, we train because we want to go away and you want to be playing. So those times are, are pretty tough. Whereas I found for me in my week, you know, going to the hospital for, for those eight hours just puts the whole thing into perspective for me that what we're doing is awesome. It's very cool. We're lucky to do it, but it's not the real world. Like there's so many other things going on and, um, so the learning for me was that, uh, I need to have other stuff going on. And I, I honestly can say I play my best hockey when I've got all these other things going on in my life. And yeah, it's been a journey. Like I've had to learn to balance it and I certainly couldn't do the training right now with a full-time job. I've, I've learned that already, but, um, it just works for me. It's, it's not the same for everyone. Everyone's going to have a different balance, but I've just found that that uh, perspective is the biggest part of it. Cause when hockey's not going well, well, I know that I can go to the hospital and be a, a really good nurse and I get my satisfaction from that. That's an awesome answer. We're going to go and immerse ourselves in hockey uh, right now. It's a, and also no secret that you're a goalkeeper. You're a very, very good goalkeeper. Um, but Thank I want to know, <laughs> why why did you get into hockey and why did you decide to be a goalkeeper? Two questions. <laughs> uh, well, I I didn't choose really when I was in grade six played heaps of sports like I was classic tomboy and had an older brother just loved any sport basketball was my main sport at the time and um, had a teacher in grade six who encouraged me to try out for a few state teams so the Victorian primary school team so I tried out for rugby uh, soccer basketball and hockey I'd never played hockey before but the school had some equipment so I tried out for hockey as a field player and a goalie so I was like well that seems that seems fun um, and they picked me as a goalie. So that was it. There was a guy at the, um, at the trials and, and he bailed up my mum and um, she was like, well, yeah, we don't play. And so joined a club after that trial and, and that was it. So, yeah, I guess the choice was sort of taken out of my hands, but I'm not complaining. That's ridiculous. But why would you stick with it? I mean, it sounds like Australia was this close from losing the 2019 goalkeeper of the year. You could be <laughs> a rugby player or basketball or whatever. Why'd you stay with it? Well, I didn't get picked in any of the others. <laughs> <laughs> it literally was that. Like I went to I went to the soccer trial and they said, oh, you need to play for a club. So you're not eligible. So I was like, all right, that's that done. Um, the basketball, I was short. So there's girls that, you know, 12 years old that were nearly six foot tall and I hadn't grown yet. Not that mm. even now I'd probably only be a point guard. But um, absolutely devastated I didn't get, get in for the basketball. Um, the rugby was like a, um, they came and watched a tournament and my school's policy was you had to wear those like padded helmet things. Oh, yeah. Three of us got picked out and we came over to meet the coach cause he wanted us to trial and, um, took my helmet off and he's like, Oh, you're a girl. I thought you're a boy. Oh, what? <laughs> so he's like, no, we only wanted boys. Wait, it was so mixed. Was, it was a mixed. No, well, yeah, yeah. But he wanted to select boys. Oh, um, and, right. Yeah, it was a bit, I mean, it's when I was 12. I can't remember the exact details, but basically that got ruled out. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So hockey was the last one I got picked. And like, to be honest, I played basketball for quite a few years um, after that. But as you know, it gets to a point where Friday nights, Saturday mornings get pretty busy and 
uh, had to make a choice. And I think, yeah, I was doing okay with the hockey. So kept going with that. Sure. And your journey, I mean, you play under 12 for Victoria and now you're the Australian keeper. Were you always good? Uh, I think I was always brave. I don't mm. know, like technically I had um, a couple of coaches early on that really put me on the right path. But I think playing soccer, um, certainly playing a bit of, I did a lot of softball and baseball, t-ball. So I had a bit like I could slide, you know, obviously you got to slide into the bases. I played catcher mostly. Um, so I guess my hand, eye was good. And that combination seemed to work quite well for goalkeeping. And um, yeah, like I can't really remember what, I don't even know what sort of person I was back then, let alone <laughs> hockey player, but I knew I wasn't afraid to throw myself around. So that seemed to, to work. Sure. And at what stage did you start to think maybe I could play for Australia? Uh, I actually don't know. I, I did the token like, well, all my life I wanted to be a pilot. I never was one of those kids that wanted to go to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to be a pilot because we used to travel a fair bit. And um, yeah, I guess that was my dream. And then it, I just remember at one point I printed off the Olympic rings and put it on my roof above my bed. Um, but even then, I don't even know if I thought that was that was a reality. Uh, I suppose my first Aussie, junior Aussie selection, maybe was a bit of an inkling, but I don't even... I mean, the time that I got told about my debut was such a shock that it's like, maybe I hadn't really thought that that was a reality. I don't know. That was 14 years ago. That was... That's... <laughs> That's that's a long time to remember back, but can you remember <laughs> can you remember how you felt when you did get that call? Yeah, I remember that moment vividly because um, I was in nothing at the time. I'd played AHL, uh, our hockey league for Northern Territory. So Ray Chimerson was the goalie for Victoria. So a couple of years under her, which was awesome. And then they decided I should probably get a bit of game time. So I went and played for NT. We got absolutely smashed. So mm. I... Um, I suppose I had a pretty good tournament and getting peppered is, is a good thing for a goalie. But after that teams came out, wasn't in anything. And then, yeah, I think it was later in the year, just randomly, I got a phone call from the coach and he said, um, yeah, the other goalkeeper, Tony Cronk, she dislocated her shoulder in a training accident. And he said, we need you to go over to um, the UK in two weeks. And um, so I hung up the phone and like burst into tears as you do. And not because I was excited, but it was, just before our June, July holidays, so uh, uni holidays. So I had the um, under-21 state team coming up. I had a trip to Thailand with a friend and after that. I had um, my birthday and another friend's birthday that I was doing a speech at. And so I hung up and I was like, I'm going to have to cancel all these things (laughs) (laughs) that I was really looking forward to. Um, And, yeah, it was probably my first taste of the more sort of selfish side of being an athlete that, this was an incredible opportunity for me, but I was having to let a lot of people down to go and do it. And obviously they were all very supportive, but I can, I can remember sitting in the kitchen with my best friend who is not a hockey person. So she was just a schoolmate and having the conversation and I could just see her, her heart was breaking and she was so supportive, but yeah, we were going to Thailand and we'd been looking forward to it for months and mm. I just had to say, I can't come anymore. And mm. Yeah, it's, um, it's a bit of a funny thing because uh, it's not a nice feeling, but you do have to be in that sort of a bit more self-centred mindset to be an athlete. Not, yeah. I don't know. Would you agree? How do, how yeah, do you no, I think that? that's a really interesting point. I want to kind of elaborate on that. That's a pretty brutal way to be. You're not really being eased into the, to the athlete <laughs> self-interest kind of piece. That's like, this is yeah. what it means to be an athlete. <laughs> You've got to do all yeah, this stuff. Well, so um, I, I feel for you there. Yeah, I agree. I think... Yeah, for me, maybe it's uh, it's just kind of come over the, over the years. I reckon like you miss something here, you miss something there. And then once you kind of add that all together, you think, oh, wow, actually there is there is a lot that I've um, had to put aside to, to do what I do. Is that something that you similarly kind of struggled with over or it just kind of comes natural um, towards the end? What do you reckon? Well, it gets a bit easier the, mm. the older you get and the longer you do it. But yeah, I remember back to high school as well that like, <laughs> you're always the one going home early from parties or not drinking or, um, and I think there's a sense that your friends, one, they stop asking you to come to things. And two, it's like, there's always this sort of unusual thing where 
people can sometimes be a little bit nasty about you going and doing something cool and it's probably just because they're not doing it. And mm. um, so to be going away and um, going on hockey tours and stuff obviously is, is awesome and you want to try and do both and, and, you know, still come to the party even though you can't stay till late. And I remember battling with that a lot and eventually I think my good friends really did understand. But there's certainly a lot of people there that just, yeah, lose interest in, in the person that doesn't, you know, doesn't rock up to things or always says no or is always away. But nowadays, you know, with technology and stuff, I feel like you can still stay really connected, but it does break your heart to, to miss out on events. And, you know, as you'd know, being over in Perth, we do miss a lot on the East Coast and weddings, birthdays, you know, significant events that you just can't get to, which, which sucks. Mm, mm. Well, to the listeners, I'm hoping that there are a couple of um, young boys and girls who, who perhaps want to be you in a, in a few years time. And this is something that possibly they might have to um, have to deal with. Is there anything you'd, you'd say to them? Usually we leave the advice piece for the end and (laughs) I'm definitely just springing this on you, but um, is, is there a way you coped with that? I think, you know, being open with your friends as well, but I do feel like you can sort of have it all. Like you've Mm. got to be, um, be really careful. And as I said, you know, I still tried to go to the parties. I didn't not go because I had training the next morning, but Mm. maybe only have a couple of drinks or you go <laughs> a little bit earlier or whatever that looks like for you. But, you know, if you just, if you go into the sort of selfish athlete mode we were talking about before, if you go into that really young, that can be pretty devastating, I reckon. Mm. And that's why, like, I debuted, I think I was 20 or turned 21 on that tour. So I felt like I had those years where you could, you know, go out with your friends and, you know, do stupid things and make bad decisions <laughs> but have, have fun before entering this world whereas now you know like some of the girls and boys coming in 17 18 they they don't get to do that and that's a pretty crucial part of your life you don't want to look back and either resent your sport for making you miss out on that or have any regrets around it because yeah i guess once you're in the hockey world it hopefully you're in for the long haul and yeah it doesn't leave a lot of room for like i'm 33 i can't go and do my partying now That's an interesting point. That's a, that's a really good answer and a very, very interesting point. I mean, that it does happen. Obviously, the AIS is over in Perth and sometimes it does happen, especially with the girls' program. You know, they kind of... There are stories of people going over when they're 16 and 17. I think that's a, that's a really good point. It's a, difficult, it's a difficult path, I guess. We're going to yeah, move so on. Oh, go on. Go on. Be right. patient. Okay. Yep. That's good advice. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to move on to uh, the Olympics. Now... Debuting in 2006, you missed out in uh, two Olympic cycles before making your debut in 2016 in Rio. I just want to touch yep. on both 2008 and 2012. Goalkeeping is a difficult, difficult gig and it doesn't get any easier when it comes to Olympic selection because while typically there are two goalkeepers who go away on tour, the Olympics, there's room for only one. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to just talk through your experience with, with the Olympics? Yeah, well, I think um, despite having no regrets that they picked me as a goalie, not a field player early on, <laughs> definitely the one area where I'm like far out. Um, it, it's, it makes it really hard. But, yeah, look, 08, I was the youngest of the three. Um, everything was pretty new to me then. I'd obviously made my debut, but then Cronky came back in and um, just I tried to just lap it up. Had my, that was my first year living over in Perth. And the whole thing was new. I was living out of home for the first time, moved in with this girl who she was a flight attendant, but um, I hope it's all right to share this, but she was also a pole dancer. (laughs) So we had a pole in our lounge room and um, you know, here's me just like young kid going over to Perth, living out of home and like, wow, is this this what it's all about? This is what people do in a share house. So that year was a bit of a blur. Like I remember I put on heaps of weight because I'd gone from mum's cooking to me trying to, you know, fend for myself. And mm. um, but fun year, and yeah, I was ne- never expected to get picked. I was the clear number three, and just enjoyed that year. And um, despite that feeling, when I opened the email, a part of me still hoped that my name was on the list because yeah, email's how we find out. Um, so yeah, that year was just a bit of a learning experience. Went home after that and got to finish my uni. So I finished my nursing degree in Melbourne and then came back to Perth 2010. Mm-hmm. And yeah, 20, 2012 for London was a very different story. Um, 2010 went to the Com Games, gold medal there, was the number one goalie, um, similar at the World Cup, but had some pretty good tournaments and pretty good years leading in. And then 2012, um, Wellesley came along, Ash Wells. 
So end of the year 2011, she came along, I think played a tournament maybe down south in WA, did pretty well. Mm-hmm. I got really minimal game time. So across the 2012 year, I played three and a half games. Mm-hmm. And in those games, I can't remember exactly, but I just know I put so much pressure on myself to, yeah. to play well because I knew that it's moment by moment. You know, you make one mistake, let a goal in, and then you're like, it's like now, you know, I can't do that again. And then you're so tense and then you do it again and then, after that, you're like, well, what's going to happen now? I'm not going to get picked. So that was a really stressful year. And, yeah, as I said, I just didn't play well. I wasn't doing my nursing that year and kind of had a bit of an idea. I had a couple of really good friends in the team in that year. And the tournament before the Olympics, you could kind of tell. If you didn't go on that tournament, you probably weren't going. Mm-hmm. So I cracked it. And when I found out, everyone left. And I remember messaging my parents. And I was like, in a time of crisis... Some people turn to alcohol. Others might get a tattoo. And I said, but I'm getting a kitten. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to the cat rescue place and I bought myself a kitten. <laughs> so that was my, um, my uh, consolation prize. So I bought a little Poppy. You know, a few mm-hmm. people know about Poppy. And then, yeah, team came out de- just devastated. I wasn't mm-hmm. on the list. and I was like, that's my dream done. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really upset. And a, a part of me thought I would still get picked but I also knew that I hadn't played well so it was I was not angry that they didn't pick me I was just annoyed at myself that I wasted that opportunity but the silver lining of that was because um, Ash Wells had come along she jumped ahead of me and she was number two so I was number three which meant that um, I didn't go as a reserve so could just shoot off overseas with um, with Stacky one of my mates and um, we went on an epic holiday awesome Awesome. Sounds good. And you finally got your chance in 2016. You went to Rio, you're an Olympian. The campaign didn't go probably as, as you guys would have hoped. Um, but there's another opportunity just around the, around the corner. I want to talk about the 2016 Olympics and perhaps any learnings that you have and what you're going to take forward to, to Tokyo. Yeah. So 2016 was a big learning year for me because mm-hmm. I thought at the time would be uh, my last chance. I thought third, third attempt at an Olympics and I didn't want to go through what I did in the previous two cycles and knowing that that fear was always there of, am I going to do it again? As in, am I going to put the pressure on stuff up in the games, fear the, you know, the ramifications of that and the flow on. So I actually worked with, worked with a guy to help me with a bit of, I suppose it's like mental training or whatever, but it was a bit of like positive affirmation, just some skills so that, when I did have those thoughts, because I had them all the time still, mm. you know, we train as a three goalies every day. And, you know, like one of the other goalies make a good save and you're like, oh, damn it. Like, you know, that's, you know, and then it's like, oh, they're over there talking to the coach. What are they talking about? And this paranoia. And mm. so this gave me a strategy to like bring it back to me all the time. What am I doing? Having that belief in, in what I was about. And then the other part of it was that um, I pretty much begged the coach that year to, to let me work because I thought that's something I need to change. I know that doesn't work for me having full-time hockey. Mm-hmm. And luckily he said, yes. So I still did my one nursing shift the whole year. And I honestly believe those two things are the reason I went to the Olympics. Right. Okay. And once you got there, um, as I said, things didn't go so well, but the Olympics is a massive, massive learning opportunity. And you're fortunate that you're well-placed to go to a second as well. What did you learn and, and what are you going to take forward? Um, yeah, a couple of things. I think uh, it was an amazing experience, like mm. very cool. And yeah. um, was quite glad in the end to be a little bit older when I went because yeah. it wasn't overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, the first moment out on the pitch, you know, huge crowds, millions of people watching, that's pretty scary. Whereas I felt a little bit more equipped to, to manage that. Yep. Um, so that was good. Really loved having my whole family over there and, and loved that they could enjoy that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, when we came six, that definitely felt like the world was, was ending for us, but got some really good perspective. I remember I flew home and got out of the airport in, in Sydney or Melbourne or somewhere. And we'd come back on the charter, um, charter flight. And so I was in full uniform and I think I was transiting to go to Perth or somewhere. I can't remember. And, uh, walking through the airport in my full kit. And I reckon I had, two or three people that I've never met before in my life come up to me and be like, you know what? We are so proud of you. Like, welcome home. 
just absolutely chuffed that we were all there. And, you know, they had no idea who I was. They had no idea what sport I did or, you know, how, how I'd gone. But for them, it was just like, wow, you know, you got to go to the Olympics. And even the security guy that was doing the, putting the bags through the machine, like he like stopped and he came over. He's like, just want to say I'm really proud of you. And then ran back. And that sort of just said to me, like, you know, obviously we only go for a gold medal. Like that's all we're mm. chasing, especially in hockey. Mm. But it's like, it's all, it's all right that we, you know, we didn't get it this time. And mm. I think moving forward, the, the learning from the year was more important to me than the Olympics around yep. the work, the yep. balance and um, uh, the mental side. So that's what I've tried to implement, but also share with the girls. That was sort of like what kept me going afterwards. Cause I was like, maybe I can leave a bit of a legacy here by sharing that sort of uh, experience with them. Now I'm going to briefly interrupt here to introduce a feature of the show. We'll call it our Hero of Hockey segment. We know that community sport flourishes on the back of hardworking volunteers who give up their time and effort simply for the love of it. And we want to give you, the listener, the opportunity to contact us and tell us who deserves to be our Hero of Hockey for the week. Tell us who they are, what club they're from, and what they've done for the sport, and we'll give them and your club a shout out. So get in touch via our socials and your nominee could be chosen for the next episode. Our hero of hockey for this week is Julie McNeil. Julie is an absolute superstar of community sport in Australia, and while you may not have heard of the work Julie and her team do across Cairns and Northern Queensland, you definitely should have. Julie is the program manager of Aspire to be Deadly, which is a program that works with Indigenous kids and is designed to deliver messages and activities which support education, well-being, and leadership, and they use hockey as a vehicle to drive this positive social change. Julie and her team operate across schools and clubs across Northern Queensland and even run programs up in the Torres Strait Islands. While the program does too much to cover in this segment, one highlight of the program includes the Aspire to be Deadly Hockey Carnival, which is held once a year up in Kurumba, where kids from an area the size of Victoria converge for a few fun days of hockey and other activities. Additionally, this year the old clubhouse at the Cairns Hockey Centre has been repurposed for the program and it is now a safe space for all kids to come after school, get a bite to eat, do their homework, and eventually play some hockey. Julie also runs a bus that would take the kids back home after their day's done. Julie and her team are innovators, and their program is a wonderful example of how sport can positively impact communities, and we're not the only ones to think so. The Aspire to be Deadly program was nominated in 2016 for the Sport Federation or Organisation of the Year at the Beyond Sports Summit in New York. While they didn't come away with the award, the program impressed some important people, and Julie was invited back to New York last year to speak at the United Nations as part of their Sport for Good campaign. Now, I've barely scraped the surface of what Julie and her team do up in Cairns, and I'd highly recommend checking out their work at the Cairns Hockey website and click on the Aspire tab. Or, if you're into more progressive methods of contact, I'm told they do a TikTok account, which they've been using to continue their program during the pandemic. If you want to help, or want to set up a similar program in your area, Julie informs me that her and her team are always around for a chat, so don't hesitate to contact them. So, to the team at Aspire to be Deadly, thanks for what you do. We're proud of you. Keep up the spectacular work. Now let's get back to Lynchy, who's going to delve into what it's like to be at the top as a goalkeeper, as well as give us a recipe for success in the modern art of the shootout. And you're also a goalkeeper coach. Um, I mentioned before you run uh, Stomp Goalkeeping, which you're saying is an online service, especially now. Uh, is this something, obviously you're talking about the mental side of hockey and I can't really think of many more quote-unquote mental positions than, than yeah. goalkeeping. I mean, like every time the ball comes to you, it's a do-or-die moment. Like your only involvement is incredibly important, whereas... I guess field players have the luxury of mistrapping a couple of balls over the sideline or something like that. And people will cover up, not for you guys. You're in the spotlight and you're under the pressure every time you get the ball. You're a coach as well. What lessons do you kind of give the, the, the stomp it without obviously giving away trade secrets? Um, how do you kind of educate and, and mentor the, the young goalkeepers on the mental side of things? Yeah, it's so challenging. I mm. think, you know, how do you explain to a 10 year old kid that they lost five nil, but it's not their fault. Mm. Um, so a lot of it is just comes with time and experience. Some of the lessons I, you could honestly do a PhD on, on the psychology of goalkeepers, any sport, not just hockey. But for me, it's about helping, helping them to firstly learn enough about their ability and their um, decision-making so that they can look at it 
with a clearer head rather mm. than just go, oh, the score line is, is how well I went or didn't go. Um, so that's one part of it. And then, yeah, I think it's like, oh, more the, the positives you get from these challenges, like the level of resilience that you get as a goalkeeper, I think you're going to pick up really early on because you're going to spend half your time on the bench. Yeah. So um, that teaches you something. And, and I feel that's been my biggest lesson that you've got to be patient. Like my career hasn't gone like this, you know, it sort of did the start and then bang after 2008 and then down again after 2012. And even now, like I, I don't play every game. There's plenty of time on the bench, which is frustrating. Mm. So I guess I try and share that with the kids. It's like, you've just got to be super patient. And when you miss out, it's going back to the training pitch and doing absolutely everything you can so that next time, the coach is going to look at you and go, well, I want to win, so I need them on the pitch. Yeah, okay. That's a really good point. We're going to come back to uh, what makes you such a good goalkeeper in a minute. But I just want to pick up on the fact that you potentially spend half your hockey career on the bench because often you know, <laughs> goalkeepers spend half, half field on half off. Um, it's a shared role. Is there yeah. an art to being on the bench for half a game? And what does that role look like? So actually playing halves, I think, is quite unique. We've played halves, quarters, uh, and obviously full games over the time. Mm. And that, um, yeah, being interesting, I think it's about just keeping mentally and physically ready for when you come on. Obviously, mm. it's much easier if you play the first half. Certainly with um, myself and Ash Wells, we've played a lot of our hockey together and we mm. like the quarters because you stay engaged the whole time. Yeah. But, yeah, it is hard. and. Sometimes when I'm on the bench, like you obviously have to play a role and we compete with the other keeper all the time. But once you're on the, on the pitch, whoever's playing, you know, they take priority in the warm up, and um, you're there to support them no matter what. And I guess that's another lesson I sort of try and teach the other goalies. It's like you can have a good relationship with, with, with your other goalie because you can spend a lot of time together. So um, that's pretty key. But yeah, I guess it's just understanding how your role changes. It's the same as the, you know, field players, sometimes they'll end up on the bench for a little bit and, mm. yeah, just taking the personal side out of it and go, well, how can I help from the sideline? It's a very, very interesting environment and I don't think shared by many um, in world sport. But as you say, there's only one, sometimes two positions of a goalkeeper. But um, the way training goes is that you're basically with each other every single day for multiple hours and the field players kind of do yep. their thing and then they come and hit balls at you very, very hard. And for the rest yeah. of it, you're, you're training with people who are like directly your competition. How does that yeah. impact relationships and how does that whole work? Because that is a, that is a very, very interesting role. Yeah, um, it, it's hard. And I've um, been fortunate to sort of, I guess, share the net with some pretty incredible keepers over the years. Um, Ash Wells is, you know, one of them that I've spent nearly majority of my career with. As I said, she came in end of 2011. So um, that's like the last sort of eight or nine years we spent together mm. and we are like best mates and mm. um, it's a pretty special relationship because there's been times where she's been ahead of me. Um, I've had, you know, obviously the Rio Olympics and times where I've been ahead and you just get this amazing respect for each other. Um, and, you know, you, you know, like we're not idiots. You can see when someone's playing well and mm. you know when you're not yourself. So, um, but I think from a relationship perspective, it's just about being really honest with each other. But you've also got to enjoy it. Like some of the conversations we've had behind the net, you know, I obviously <laughs> I can't talk about them here, but um, we, we get a bit more time between the drills. So you get to have a bit of, a bit of chat back there. And yeah, so I, that's what I love. Like, yeah, we compete, but we're also good mates. I think um, a lot of people would, would acknowledge that Ash Wells is, she might be, you know, the second best goalkeeper in the world this year. Obviously, you have the accolade. But the thing is, is that with goalkeepers, you might have your second best player, period, not playing. Yeah. And that is, that is very, very tricky. Is it, is it difficult? Um, I guess when you think about it like that, I mean, like you could be the be second best goalkeeper in the world and not get selected. Is it difficult to keep your confidence high? Yeah, well, I think we're fortunate. It's probably the same in the men's that, we have three goalies in both programs mm. that would, yeah, probably be in the top 10 in the world. Mm. And yet two in each program are not regularly playing. So I, you know, from a confidence point of view, as I said, I spent 2016 working on strategies to come back to, to focusing on myself. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, you can be your own worst enemy if you're worrying about the other people. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think that's what drives my sort of, training and 
I want to make it as clear as possible that, you know, I'm the one to be in the net. But um, absolutely, if, if the others are playing well and they're the one to help us win, then I'll also support that because, you know, winning is our main goal at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. We've danced around it a little bit, but you were awarded the 2019 FIH Goalkeeper of the Year. Congratulations. That's fantastic. <laughs> I want to talk about what makes a good goalkeeper. Basically, what makes uh, you so good? You mentioned before that you've always been brave. Um but what is it about? Was it this year in particular, or is this a sum of parts, or or, or what's what's working in your game at the moment? Uh, I'd say my basics, and you know, something that I I coach as well. And from a young age, I had good coaches assist me with the importance of basics. Uh, and like, I absolutely love training the boring stuff. I could <laughs> go out there for three hours and just literally work on my right and left foot kicking, or um, you know, so. I, I don't know if I did at the start, but I've certainly learned to love that because to be able to um, repeat a performance, I think the basics is key. You know, the I've heard that um, saying around the the seals or the um, SAS or whatever. It's like you never rise to an occasion; you'll always drop to the level of your training. So, mm. um, for my uh, ability, I want to walk out on the pitch and just feel absolutely confident in my. Um, my skills and then it's just about making the right decision in those moments so no matter where it comes at me i know that my left foot is just as good as my right foot because i've spent hours and hours and hours working on it so i don't care which side they shoot you know like making a stick save or something like that well you know yeah i might pull off a few like fluky saves every now and then but it's like yeah but i do them at training Mm. so i know in that moment if i get stuck that's going to just happen so i guess it eliminates a lot of the thought process and as i said then it's just about the decision making. So I think the basics is really key. Yeah. Being brave. Uh, you've got to be a good communicator and a good leader because it's naturally a sort of a leadership role. Um, and then, yeah, I think it's just being a well-rounded person. I guess that's the same with any athlete. You know, I look at the um, six goalies across the men's and women's programs and I'm pretty sure everyone's nearly working full time out of those six. <laughs> and that makes me pretty proud. Like what a, what a good crew. Um, yeah. I don't know how many, how many of the strikers are working full time. <laughs> We're working hard putting the balls past you. Don't worry about that. Um, no, I, I, I have to say the goalkeepers are the gold standard in the squads at the moment. On the work life balance. That's, that's definitely, that can't be I hope disputed. the boys are listening. Yeah, me too, actually. Um, so goalkeepers uh, are different to, to field players in that um, they probably reach their peak a little bit later. Um, it's less demanding, probably physically, aerobically, etc. But decision making is probably a bigger area, and you touched on that yourself. Um, what do you reckon the biggest improvement has been in your game since 2006, debuting in Holland to to now? Oh, easy, just my consistency. Sure. I think right up to 2012, it was. I remember at one point, um, Adam Commons, who is our coach, just said he's like, "I I just don't know what I'm going to get from you." Um, so you know. Being, being brilliant means nothing if your rubbish days are just horrendous. So I just needed to get to that point where every time I'm on the pitch, the coach can trust me and know that, um, you know, I'm not going to be letting in soft goals. So that majority of my saves will be pretty stock, ten- stock standard. Hopefully the point of difference for me is maybe a few exceptional ones and game-changing ones. Um, but very rarely am I going to let in, you know, really, really ugly goals and, that obviously takes time. I've had so many years of horrendous goals going in and, you know, the most heartbreaking, embarrassing moments out on the pitch. But now I, you know, I I still feel a bit nervous before the game, but I never, ever walk out there thinking that, Oh, I hope I don't have a a shocker today Mm. because I know that my base game, I've got it at a level that's, um, you know, really high. And yeah. And it's, it's kind of a weird message because you can't really share that with a young athlete because it does, it takes, it takes you making a lot of mistakes and a lot of, a lot of errors to get to that point. I think. Sure. Okay. That's a good answer. I want to talk about uh, hockey is obviously a team sport, but I know personally in our, in our game, there are some teams within teams in that often, (laughs) often at training, um, there'll be a fair bit of banter. I would say to put it politely between field players and goalkeepers in that we're doing our absolute best to put it past the goalkeepers and they are spraying us if we miss the goal or vice versa. Is that shared in, in your experience? Is that kind of like what happens? It's a goalkeepers versus field players scenario in, in training or how does that work? Or is that just us? No, no. I've seen the way <laughs> Tyler Lovell and 
Andrew Charter throw chat at you boys. That would not be acceptable in our team. I don't know about Yoey, Johan Des. I don't know. Does he throw a bit around? Probably Yoey only if it's like very personal and very directed at him will bite back, but typically not. He's strong and silent, whereas the other two, they tend to bite a bit more. Yeah, well, it's interesting. So we train um, twice a week with um, Dave Staniforth, our goalie coach, mm. and he's really struggled because when the three boys train together, they are just on each other like any like... <laughs> sometimes we use each other to roll like what he calls a trigger ball just to kind of, you know, like a rebound or whatever. Mm. And he said the boys just boot it. You know, they're trying to put it in the roof and absolutely pelt it. Whereas the three of us are like, well, no, they're in the goal, so this is their chance. And how can I put it on a platter so that they can work on their skills? And Stanny, oh, he hates it. He's just like, come on, stop being so nice. And <laughs> like, well, that might work for the boys, but it doesn't work for us. So, um, yeah, I'd say I'm probably more more on the, the Yoey side. Uh, mm. I guess that's my style even when I play. Like, I, I don't like to be out there as a keeper. I'm, I'm not going to celebrate my saves. You know, mm. the only celebration you'll ever see me do is, is when we win. Mm. Um, and I guess I, that's just the way I go, but... Sometimes Wellesley's pretty good. She'll throw a little bit of lip at the girls, which is great. We need it. <laughs> Very cool. Um, I want to talk about uh, goalkeeping as a role um, and how it's changed over the years. I mean, I can think of some examples. Every um, international women's team has a world-class goal, uh, world-class goalkeeper, obviously, but a world-class drag flicker now, um, and that, nece- mm-hmm. that hasn't necessarily always been the way. But how have you seen? How have you seen the, the role of goalkeeping change over the years? Yeah, well, I think the drag flicking has been pretty key. But in all honesty, it, it hasn't got to the level like the boys. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think, obviously, female flickers will never flick like guys do. But I, I would say there's quite a, a bigger gap. Uh, more goals are still being scored in the men's through flicks, whereas in the women, they're going round now. Because I think mm-hmm. they've realised that majority of teams do have a top keeper, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty hard to score in, from a drag flick. So the PCs have been, you know, obviously an evolution, but a little bit different, I'd say, in the women's. Mm-hmm. Uh, the introduction of the shootouts, one-on-ones, that's been a real game changer for goalies. We've gone mm-hmm. from a stroke situation where oh, I'd say that the, the field player has the advantage there mm-hmm. to a one-on-one where I'd probably say it's a little bit on our side. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's equaling up because as everyone's getting better at them. Otherwise, you know, for me personally, it's been our stance. Like when I started with um, Frank Murray as the coach, I was really low. Like he wanted us like um, slips, um, mm. fielders, cricket or a wicket keeper, whereas now it's much more upright. So that that's always going to change. Part of it's to do with the coach and the style. But um, yeah, I guess it's a position where now you've got to be fast and powerful and explosive. And maybe back in the day, the goalie was just always the, the fat kid that couldn't run. <laughs> <laughs> which is um, fine you know i love that i think hockey as a sport is open to everyone mm. but goalkeeping too you know some of the kids that i coach i look after kids that are autistic um that have you know other disabilities that yeah some that maybe don't have the ability to run you know big kilometers mm. more than happy to help you know if that's just the, the position they love and they have a passion for it then mm. let's go i love that it's open to to any age size shape whatever yeah, 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 yeah. I think uh, you touched on shootouts and that's definitely a big change, I would say, with goalkeepers, um, especially for us because it's meaning that, well, I guess I'm just, I'm just reading as a, as a striker kind of point of view, but it means that you guys have to be a lot more mobile than perhaps um, you had to be in the past. I mean, you were sprinting, um, trying to get around you guys, which typically would happen once every 50 games. I mean, like an actual one-on-one scenario, but um, now yeah. it happens not only often, but in the most important possible times. Um, yeah. Has that changed the way you train? Uh, I mean, once we changed to shootouts, that was like the ultimate for me because it suited my style. Sure. Um, I like being a more aggressive keeper. If I have a choice to come out and do in a field play situation, a one-on-one versus stay back and save a shot, I would come out. Um, and that's probably like a contrast with Wellesley, who's better back on the line um, you know, just making sort of general saves and, and that's her strength. So I think it's been, yeah, I've sort of followed her journey a little bit there in the trial of like, you know, trying to be a more mobile keeper and then, you know, does that work or do you need to find that kind of happy medium? So, yeah, your agility and mobility is really key. And as I said, I think early on, like I know we went probably oh, maybe eight or nine shootouts um, that I was a part of and we didn't lose a single one. Mm. And then 
the field players have just got better and better. And, you know, I even watching you guys do them, the ability to like turn your back and then spin really hard. I know you, you've got a reasonable move like that, but, or just a skill to go around, like on a foot race, you guys are going to win every single time. So it's about being smart in, in the way you defend them, but um, definitely a work in progress. I feel like the gap's closed and it's something that I need to get better at. Cause yeah, it's crunch time once you, once you go to shootouts and that's what gets you into finals. For sure. You've been described as a shootout beast. Um, that is a direct <laughs> quote from one of your teammates, probably a lot of your teammates. That's very kind. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, I mean, um, like you, you're fantastic at shootouts in the 2018 World Cup. You can forget the game against Argentina where um, you played a starring role in, in winning that. And I guess a lot of people probably want to know, what's your secret? <laughs> Not telling. <No. laughs> um, I, I guess I just embrace pressure. You yeah. know, when we go to a shootout, I'm like, yep, like game on, come on. Um, I, love, uh, I love those moments. I love the opportunity to actually have an influence. Mm-hmm. For example, the uh, 2014 Com game, so we're playing in Glasgow, and uh, we were playing GB or England, can't remember whatever they are at the Com games. I had, I don't even think I'd had a single touch. So we absolutely dominated, but they mm. had a breakaway. They mm. came down and scored a goal against me. So no joke, majority of the game, we were 1-0 down, and I just stood there watching couldn't have a single involvement. Like there was yeah. other than my encouragement, nothing I could do. And I was just sitting there, you know, we're playing for a gold medal and I was like, we're about to get a silver because of my one, well, it wasn't even really an error. It was my one involvement mm. and they scored. And then after we, we got a corner at the end, a penalty corner, 24 seconds to go, 11 seconds, we scored. We got this goal from Jody Kenny. It was the most incredible moment, like still up there as one of the best for me personally. Because as soon as that happened, I was like, right, now I get a chance to redeem myself. And, you know, it was a happy ending. We went on and won in the shootouts and got, and got the gold medal. So I think that lack of control around influencing a game, obviously mm. you can stop, stop a lot of goals, but you can't score. So you can't help the team win. Whereas when you go to, to shootouts, you, you can. You can have a really solid involvement. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you can definitely see the keepers revel in the opportunity to, to, to get at least five touches a game um, with shootouts. In fact, there is a argument that suggests that keepers let goals go in on purpose just so that they can go to shootouts, but that's for another time. Um, yeah, I, so. <laughs> I want to talk about the hockey roos in general. Um, the team has been, you've been involved with them for a long time and, and the hockey roos have been there and thereabouts over the last, I guess, decade or so um, without really succeeding at the at obviously the olympics and the world cup um a few commonwealth games gold medals and and that but i guess the international women's scene has really been dominated by the dutch and the argentinians and and gb i guess at the time there've been some very very good teams there um what's it going to take to the hockey roos to to kind of get on that level and 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 win gold yeah i think interesting and you know very fair fair statement we we're pretty lucky that the Hockey Roos brand is so well known that the average person still thinks we're, we're number one in the world because of the golden era, you know, Sydney 2000, where they won all those gold medals back then. And I'm sure as you guys know and hate, we often get confused <laughs> or you get confused for us. Um, so we have a really good brand, but yeah, we're realistic about it. We haven't uh, obviously medaled at the Olympics. I think silver at the World Cup was very key for us. That was sort mm. of a bit of a game-changing period and we did have a time there where we were making finals at every tournament a couple of gold medals at the com games um, and that sort of boosted things for us that you know we are we are up there we've got to number two in the world um, and then I think a really key moment was last year in the pro league when we beat the Dutch for mm. the first time in who knows how long like 16 matches remember. against against uh, hockey Roos. yeah yeah well to be honest I couldn't ever remember beating them in, in my career so mm. That was really key. And up until then, we just had this sort of false or fake belief, if you like, because sometimes you need evidence to have mm. belief, but we had to try and generate it ourselves knowing, yep, yeah, we can beat this team, but it's like, yeah, but we haven't beaten them for a long, long time. So to beat them was really big, um, big for our team. And, you know, some of the girls, it was like their first or second game for Australia. So probably didn't mean as much, but um, that sort of showed us that, yeah, we can beat any team. But as you know, like the top 10 teams in the world are really, really good quality. So 
yeah, we might be able to get up on, on our day and beat the Dutch, but it also means that playing number 10 in the world is going to be really hard. So, yeah, specifically to your question, what's it going to take? I think we need to realise physically and technically and tactically, um, you know, physically I think we can match every team and almost better any team in the world. Technically, sometimes I look at, you know, the Asian teams obviously spend hours and hours and hours on their hitting and trapping and certainly feel a bit envious of their limited mistakes. Mm. And then same as the Dutchies, they've got, uh, you know, you only have to look at their, their midfield and forward line. They have some girls that can hit the ball harder than most of our girls. And that's mm. just the reality. So I think the way that we beat them is culturally through our behaviours and um, sometimes our tactics. So it's knowing that we maybe have to have a bit of a point of difference in that way that, um, yep, we're, we're easily going to be the fittest, but we also are going to just be fighting harder than them at the end and, and that'll be the, get the same against any team. So, um, you know, we're going to spend the hours on the pitch and, and doing all of that, but I, I personally believe it's going to be a lot of the off-pitch stuff that would, will get us to a, to a gold medal. Sure. Okay. Now, speaking of hours on the pitch, the training regime is that you have to get up very early, um, earlier even than the field players and that often you're doing goalkeeper sessions before the field players have warmed up and you're there from ridiculous hours in the morning, definitely yeah. while it's still dark. Why do you still do it? I mean, you've been involved with the team for 14 years. What gets you up in the morning? I mean, the, the lifestyle is great. We're very, very fortunate. Get to travel the world with, with your mates. Um, it's, it's fun. I love the competition. Um, obviously very passionate about the sport, but I think the connection is really key as well. You're just around a really good group of people. I, I honestly look at individual athletes and go, I don't know how you do it. Like I couldn't think of anything worse than being up on a podium by myself. Like, mm. I don't know. Would you like that? What, what do you reckon? <laughs> no, I, I agree. I agree. Similar motivations. It's having a team around you um, not only covers your mistakes, but well, maybe not for you, but um, they definitely it, being around people at that time, people stupid enough to get up that early to go and like bleed on the pitch and blah, 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 blah. It's definitely comforting and you know, that you're not crazy for doing it. Yeah. And I, th- I think the <laughs> competitiveness and probably for me more so now it's about wanting to make a bit of a difference. Like I just, I love that I can yeah build connection with the connections with the girls and share some of my experience and my knowledge. And you know sometimes they're not interested, don't really care what I've got <laughs> to say, but it goes both ways that, you know, I, I've gone from the youngest in the team when I debuted to the oldest in the team now. And I'm learning stuff all the time, learning from the girls and I guess being so passionate about it, I'm still keen to learn at my age, but um, just, yeah, like being on the journey with them, whatever that looks like, whether it is the early morning sessions, it's away on tour, having an absolute ball, it's winning, it's losing, um, it's selection. You know, when it goes well for you, how can you help someone who didn't go well for or, when it's going poorly for you, being there and supporting the, supporting the others. So I guess it's yeah, probably the teammates and the connection. Sure. And uh, you can't do this forever. Um, fortunately, well, not fortunately. I mean, you've done it by design, but you, you're pretty well set up for life after hockey. But what is next for you? Uh, I don't know. I, yeah, as I said, this has been a really interesting time for me. I think probably for every athlete, this is what retirement would feel like. So we've just being thrown into this world that is so different to what we're used to, you know, like the structure, we've lost our structure, um, just generally being told what to do. Um, me moving into the corporate world now, which is new. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting, like just a whole different world. You, you train when you want to train and you've got to find your motivation. Whereas in a team sport like ours, realistically, you just need to turn up. Mm. Obviously we work really bloody hard, but, the training is set for you. You don't have to plan anything. So I think the rigidity and the structure of that is, is something that I enjoy, but I've also enjoyed the other side. So moving forward. Yeah. I'll, I'll want to stay in the nursing. I love the, the mining world, the opportunity that brings, whether it's to have an influence with mental health or, or in the nursing space. But then I also love business. So I love having my, my um, online business. So I, I honestly don't know, but I feel very, <laughs> I feel very fortunate that I've got some options and yeah, I guess I've worked hard to ensure that's the case, but still loving the hockey. So that, that'll still be my career for a little while longer. I reckon. That's interesting. I mean, you spoke about earlier when you were 12, you were playing all these sports and you loved them all and you couldn't really differentiate them. And it appears that you have similar challenges going on now. Um, I'll finish. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> no, that's true. It's yeah. Sometimes it's better to have, 
uh, limited choice because it makes it really easy. But um, I, yeah, I will forever be grateful for, you know, even right now, the fact that I have a job and so many people don't have a job and um, things like that. So it's, it's good to reflect on it. And um, I'm, yeah, I'm fortunate with what I've been able to do, but I'm also fortunate that moving forward, um, I don't really have to stress about those sort of decisions. I'll, I'll, I'll take the time whenever it is that I do retire and, and just see where it goes from there. For sure. Now, typically I, um, I finish the, the podcast with three questions. Um, the first one is the best player you've ever played against. That can be goalkeeper or field player. Uh, I'm very fortunate that I've spent many years playing against Luciano Amar. Um, mm. You know, I hope that her name goes down in history like your uh, Al Annans and Jamie Dwyer and, and players like that because uh, Amar was the best in the world for so many years. I, I can't even remember maybe eight or nine years. She won the best player award. Mm. Incredible player. Just, you know, you know, she's good when we don't man up on her. We don't have one player tagging her. We always needed three to just try. And, and sometimes that didn't even work. Um, she wasn't a huge goal scorer, mm. but to just watch her play was incredible. Yeah. And then more so now um, someone like Lita Vivelton from Holland she, I reckon, has scored more, not recently, but she's probably scored more goals against me than any other player. Um, <laughs> but I still just admire her ability and, gosh, she's, she's fast, she's threatening. You know, she could get the ball on the top of the D up the other end and I'm like, oh, we're on here. <laughs> so um, it'll probably be her, like, great player. Best you've ever played with? So I think in my 14 years, I did the maths. There's been over about 110 different girls that I've played along with. That's a lot. Um, yeah, well, it's cool that we've got the the num our playing hockey room playing numbers to actually figure that out. But <laughs> played played with some really amazing people. I I probably have to say Madonna Blythe. Mm. She she was our captain for many years. Um, maybe a little bit understated or underrated because of her positioning, but she read the play better than anyone. She was an incredible leader. Sort of very, uh, I'd say quietly spoken but mm. when she speaks you listen and I'm still now you know when I catch up with her I just she's got so many words wisdom and, and, I, and I love her philosophy on life so um, as an all-round player I'd have to say Donnie. Good answer I'm sure there'd be a lot of people who would who would echo that. Last question do you have you've already given some advice but I want some more advice um, for any aspiring young goalkeepers out there or players in general? I'd probably go with and I got told this really early on is uh, you need to be a sponge. So you're going to hear information from so many people across your career, lots of different coaches, club coaches, state coaches, Aussie coaches, whatever it might be parents, you know, there's so many parents that have got all these great ideas and they're all experts. And so I think like soak it all in, squeeze it all in as much as you can take, listen to everyone, but then you definitely got to squeeze out the stuff that doesn't work for you. Um, and, and I've learned that over the years. It's about, yeah, reading things, learning things, um, listening and watching things. And then, yeah, you got to figure it out for yourself because not everyone has the answers. No one will really give you the answers, but you'll get a lot of advice and also a lot of noise in there that, that's not really relevant. It's a fantastic answer and an even better note to finish on. Thank you, Lynchy, for, for joining me. I really appreciate the time taking out of your very busy schedule. Um, and all the best with the rest of the lockdown. Absolute pleasure, Tom. Thanks so much. Big thank you to the production team of David Moore, Tim Collier, and Jimmy Stevens. If you do like the help side, please like, subscribe, interact. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us at the help side on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. That's it for now. We'll catch you on the help side next time.